Deep pattern downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here each and every day to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are back on the practice field, and so too are the Atlanta Falcons. We'll have you covered on all the position-by-position notes, the top performers, the matchup, matchup, matchup of the day, and we'll have plenty of media to get to with Jalen Waddle, Tua Tungavailoa, Jalen Phillips, Brian Flores, and some more. Plus, cut-down day, a trade, and a breakdown of Greg Little, Dolphins' new offensive tackle, We'll talk running back rotation, break down the co-offensive coordinator positions, and some pocket presence talk, all of that with Coach Flores, and much, much more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And it is, of course, the day after cuts, and we have some roster moves to make you privy to. First off, receiver Alan Hearns had a wrist injury. He'll miss significant time. Coach Flores said in his Tuesday presser that Hearns will end up going on IR at some point, and that point was yesterday, and more on that here in just one moment. Unfortunate, as Coach said for sure. Coach also said Tuesday is one of the tougher days you work through as a coach because it is cut-down day, and this year there are three of those cut down days. This one that occurred on Tuesday takes us down to 85 players. The next one will take us down to 80 players. That's next Tuesday, the 24th. Then finally, the big cut day where we go from 80 down to 53, August 31st, another Tuesday. And that, of course, a couple days after that Bengals game, the preseason finale. So as far as yesterday's cuts go, tackle Jonathan Hubbard, a UDFA in 2020 and practice squad guy last year. He was released from the Dolphins. Jerome Johnson, a UDFA this year out of Indiana, a defensive tackle, was also cut. Offensive guard Tyler Mars, who was signed earlier this month, has been released. Offensive tackle Timon Paris, who was also signed to the roster recently, has been released. And then Alan Hearns added to the injured reserve. And then there was an acquisition, a player coming in. The Dolphins acquired Greg Little, the former second-round draft pick of the Carolina Panthers out of Ole Miss. He spent two years with the Panthers after being selected with the 37th overall selection back in 2019. So I did a little bit of a write-up or a workup on Greg Little after the news dropped. He's six foot five, 310 pounds. He's played 14 games in the NFL, six starts over his two seasons. And you go back to his combine, his best measurement at the combine was the broad jump, nine feet, one inch, showing some explosiveness in that lower half. And you see that on the film here. We'll talk about that in just one second. He was a top five high school recruit, regardless of position coming out of high school in 2016 and winding up at Ole Miss. And he's got two years left on that rookie contract, which you sign after you get drafted, a four-year deal with the Panthers. And as you know, with rookie deals, the team that drafts the rookie winds up paying the majority of that contract because of the initial signing bonus. So the Dolphins have him on a two-year deal still, or two years left on that rookie deal with pretty affordable figures there. And this guy... With pro football focus numbers, before we talk about some of his tape here, 232 pass blocking snaps, 19 pressures allowed, that's three sacks, two hits, and 14 hurries, and I'm going to talk about his run blocking grade from pro football focus. He had 46 run blocking reps and a 66.2 grade, but I want to make it abundantly clear that 
I don't know that most teams agree with the pro football focus grades because how can you possibly understand an offensive lineman's job when you don't know the assignment? And that's kind of true across the entire formation, but it's out there for you. Also has played 358 total reps. I think he just needs more reps and more time to get some experience under his belt. But when you watch him, when he lost reps, his feet go quiet upon contact. So like if you look at a pass rush, he makes the initial punch and then his feet just stop and then that allows the pass rusher to keep working around him. And he sometimes has a tendency to kind of get overset in that lunge and get out over the skis when he sees that initial pass rush coming in. So those are two things I think he can work on because he's got a ton of natural strength. He can lean on guys, just hasn't quite put it all together in terms of the polish and the development. But again, that's why you take a flyer on a guy like this with a seventh round trade the Dolphins gave to the Panthers to get him down here to Miami. But he gets good push and short yardage and can really wall off backside runs. So I think when you look at potential heavy personnel packages. He might be a good fit in that area, but he's pretty good in space as well. There's a screen pass in the Arizona Cardinals game. I put it up on Twitter where he gets out into space and knocks a defensive back on his butt. So that was a good looking rep. And again, like I mentioned, a seventh round draft pick. I mean, sometimes you wind up with a guy that doesn't work out for you. Sometimes you get an Adam Shaheen who earns a contract extension within that same year. But again, when he loses, it's because of the feet stop and the hand placement and technique. We'll see if he can get better with 358 total reps in his tool bag. Maybe expand upon that and get him more work. He was out there working today in the practice. All right, we've got plenty more to catch up on here, including Brian Flores' Tuesday media. Let's go through this first here. Two quick answers I want to cover without the audio because I want to get through them quickly and so we can get to more practice notes for you guys from the joint practices with the Atlanta Falcons. But I do want to play some audio for you guys on a particular clip. But first, Coach was asked about the co-OCs, and he actually went pretty in-depth and conveyed that Charlie Fry is the voice inside Tua's helmet that he hears. And he said the upshot to that is that they communicate every day and spend so much time together that... In that case, those type, those guys can kind of have their own language, their own conversations about different plays. And Coach said, for instance, hey, remember we talked about like this or remember we saw this in practice? That's the different relationship or way of speaking that is that it is with the coordinator. And Coach said he knows because he's been in a position as a position coach and a coordinator that the idea behind giving Charlie the play call is that one or two things they've talked about in their room specific to the quarterbacks, that just makes sense to coach. And he thinks it's pretty reasonable. That's why we do it that way, he says. He says, I know you guys asked about play calling. Look, obviously you guys haven't been up in the coach's booth, but this is kind of what happens. Somebody is watching the front side of the play. Somebody's watching the back side of the play. Someone's watching the coverage, the rotation. Somebody's watching the fronts. So there is a lot of dialogue. At the end of the day, what happens is somebody gives Charlie the call and Charlie says, hey, Tua, wristband 33. It's not six people talking to Tua. You might think that, but that's not what happens. Maybe that's too much information. Give some laughter there, but that's what it is. It's wristband 37. That's the information that the quarterbacks get on the headset. The coaches are saying, hey, backside end is doing this. We might want to call that wristband 38. That's kind of how that goes. I was told to explain that. And then he laughs out loud to himself. So I thought that was a really good detailed answer there from coach as far as how the process goes. I think the most telling thing about that dialogue there from coach is, did you notice how many people are watching the different things the defense is doing? So when you talk about watching one rep live one time and trying to give detailed notes on that, very, very difficult to get done by yourself. I do my best at practice, try to focus on one or two guys in every single rep and give you that type of note. And then obviously the result as well. But if you're not watching the tape and going back over and over and over again, I mean, it takes me a couple hours to watch the all 22. How much are you really going to retain from that one time you watch the game? That's a 
Very insightful answer there from Coach. I also love the joking nature of it, but I also love the explanation because that's the kind of insight that I'm personally interested in. Like, how does the process work? Not just what's the challenges of having two offensive coordinators or whatever the question might be. That was great stuff there from Brian Flores. How about some insight into the running back position and the running back room? He said this, quote, we all we like all the backs. They all bring something a little bit different. Malcolm is a little bit bigger, has more what you might consider a power back. Miles, kind of a change of pace, good quickness, can get out of the backfield in the passing game. Savon has got good speed and can get out of the backfield. A lot of different qualities there. I thought they all played well in the preseason game, but just trying to come back today, have a good practice, have a good week of practice against Atlanta, and just try to continue and improve on a daily basis. So talking about the running backs there, maybe sounds like you fantasy folks might not love this room because of how complimentary they all towards each other. It might take each other's carries and snaps and all that fun stuff away. But again, Savon Ahmed bringing the juice last couple of days and in that game, that was fun to see as well. So we'll keep an eye on that going forward. I want to finish here with this audio from Coach who was talking about Tua's ability to manage the pocket and the mobility within the pocket from that game on Saturday. I thought his answer here was great. Let's go ahead and go to Brian Flores. I think that's part of quarterbacking, Um, stepping up in the pocket, sliding in the pocket, Um, you know, to give yourself better throwing lanes, and I think he does a nice job of that. Um, I think he's got a good feel for that. And I, mean, I think he's, uh, you know, he's aware of that, you know, and, and you know, we got good rushers in this league, so you're going to have to step up and slide and, um, you know, find, you know, create kind of, I wouldn't say create some throwing lanes, which he's able to do. And, um, you know, we just need to keep repping it keep uh, getting repetitions on it some of that is understanding the protection and where there will be some uh, step up lanes and seeing the front and seeing how the front's distributed and you know if there's three guys over there then my step up lane's probably over here and if there's you know I mean I think there's that that comes with repetition Um, down a distance you know so there's a lot that goes into that and I think he's, he's he's definitely improving in that area. So you hear some more very insightful stuff there from Coach Flores. I could listen to him talk about that type of thing all day, every day. It's why I wanted to bring it all on the podcast here. And I know we're, what, 10 minutes into the show now and haven't got to practice, but I thought this stuff was very valuable to hear about. And I want to go back to one more kind of evaluation here from Brian Baldinger of the NFL Network, because he broke this thing down with the All-22 in a way that I like to do, sometimes like to do, don't have the access to the All-22 now, obviously with... Uh, Game Pass not producing the preseason stuff, but want to go ahead and play some of the sound for you guys and a breakdown that Brian Baldinger did and kind of go through my thoughts on it as well because Coach talked about the recognition of what he sees, the situation, the possible lanes you might have to step up and get through. Let's just go ahead and play a minute-long clip here from Brian Baldinger who talks about one thing that I've talked about a lot and that coincides with what makes Tua able to get away from that pressure and able to expedite the process of getting the football away under pressure. Coach Flores talked about the recognition and the smarts of the position. Brian Baldinger talks about the footwork. Tua just does some things sometimes that not many people can do. The guy's got great feet. I mean, let's play action pass right here. All right, he's going to get pressure from both the right end and the left end. All right, now watch his feet. Now, he doesn't look at anybody here. His eyes are up. Like that move, subtle. Now, eyes up. Here's the best, best part. Guy's always in a position to throw. Like after that, after this 
just chaos right in front of them. Shuffle, slide, set feet, make throw. Oh, that guy's good in the pocket, man. He's talented. I had to play that for you guys because how long have I been talking about that with Tua's game back to the Lockdown Dolphins days and scouting him at Alabama? <clears throat> Excuse me. And I want to finish with the Tua talk on this point before we go to Tua for some audio that he gave us post-practice on Wednesday. But just breaking down those eight completions in a row, you saw the full complement of what it takes to really win at the quarterback position in this league, in my opinion. Like the far hash throw to Mac Hollins, the zip, the drive, to get that thing out there before the DB can make a play on it, make a drive on it. Good stuff there from the arm strength and the quick setup. Speaking of the quick setup and delivery, coming off the fake, off of an RPO look where you have to get the feet from going to the possible handoff location to back into a throwing position like Brian Baldinger talked about there, always in a position to threaten the defense. He does that with the quickness and the footwork. We saw that in the game on Saturday. The gorgeous touch pass over the top of the underneath defender on the big play to Mike Gesicki. Managing a compromised pocket and the trash at his feet on the Brown dump off, like Baldy just talked about there. Then a stick throw on third and six, the conversion to Mike Gesicki with the zip, the accuracy, the placement off the frame of the receiver to play off the leverage of the defensive back. Impressive showing upon multiple rewatches of that preseason tape. But again, going back to Brian Baldinger's breakdown there, fantastic stuff. He does that every single week and talks about Tua a lot. He's a big fan. And then my audio here, got some more notes before practice notes. I promise they are coming. The Dragons are coming. And then I had a chance to talk to Tua after practice, and he mentioned the Falcons' ability to disguise coverages, which Dean Pease has been doing that for about a billion years now. And so I asked him, how much does it help to see different teams, different schemes, different looks, different players? How does that help compared to what you went through last year where it was just a ramp-up process and then seeing the Miami Dolphins defense every single day? Let's go to Tua. Yeah, well, I, I think it's really good for, um, you know, not just young quarterbacks, but young rookie players to also, you know, get this opportunity um, to see, you know, different looks, um, you know, how guys can go from a four down to a three down dropping out and what to expect within the coverages. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of things, you know, for us, that's what we've seen. And, you know, we're going to go into the film room uh, later on today and uh, we'll try to get those things corrected. Every once in a while, I'll ask a question to Tua and he gets into the nitty gritty, the X's and O's. And that's when I light up because I know we're going to get something good. You hear him talking about it right there. It reminds me of the first podcast I did with Tua on his draft night, breaking down the long pass in the LSU game in 2019, going up the sideline on the dummy call, getting Derek Stingley caught out for a long touchdown. And then also the touchdown in the national championship, the game winner to Devontae Smith, where he broke those things down, told me about the recall on both those plays. Love hearing Tua talk some X's and O's. Let's get back to the notes here. Some practice notes. Liam Eichenberg back on the field, practicing today, working with the first team as well. Jalen Phillips also was back on the field, getting plenty of work in. Cornerback Noah Igbenogany, who was banged up a little bit in the Chicago game, was back out there at practice today, albeit in a red non-contact jersey. And then no Devontae Parker, no Will Fuller, no Albert Wilson. Although yesterday, Coach did say those guys are getting closer to getting back, so hopefully we have good news on them in the near future. Isaiah Ford also missed practice. Seathan Carter, who was injured in the game on Saturday, did not practice on Wednesday, nor did Vince Beagle. Brandon Jones, or Javaris Davis, the second-year cornerback. Also, Sam Egwavon added to the reserve-slash-COVID-19 list on Wednesday, so he was not out there either. 
but the Dolphins and the Atlanta Falcons were, and we're going to go ahead and take this right into our practice notes here on the Drive Time Podcast for Wednesday's practice, back with the pads, day number 14. And a spoiler for later in the podcast to start off here, Michael Dieter is going to be involved in the matchup of the day, and the reason I wanted to put him at the start was because there was a period during the individual fundamental period where it was one of those beautiful synchronized moments where the stuff that I was watching in the individual and fundy periods carried over to the teamwork. Like for instance, when you watch Michael Dieter go through these drills and notably the double team where you catch the first level, climb the second level, you can see the technical proficiency there, which again goes back to his tape at Wisconsin, his first year here with the Dolphins. Last year I had a chance to kind of sit back and watch the game from the sideline and really take those mental reps I think that technical proficiency in the middle of the offensive line is going to go a long way for the Dolphins front. And it happens really with whoever he works with, whether it's Robert Hunt, usually him, Solomon Kinley, Liam Eichenberg, whoever it might be, they kill it in this area. And especially, like I mentioned with Robert Hunt, they were getting it done big time in that department on Wednesday. Let's go back to the format of going position by position here. And we'll start with the quarterbacks. And I really thought this was one of Jacoby Brissett's best days, if not the best of camp. I thought his best throw was a quick pop right behind the second level and in underneath the safety in that third level with perfect zip and location on the catch rock throw the football, kind of like the Adam Shaheen interception on the game on Saturday from Tua to Shaheen. He also threw with good timing on a number of other throws, including some good work in the red zone period. He had an absolute strike to Durham Smythe coming across the formation, which was later punched out in a forced fumble by the Falcons' defense. It went out of bounds with no recovery, but a great throw there from Brissett. And he also finished off his two-minute drive with a touchdown strike to Robert Foster, who you're going to hear more about here in just one moment. But then Tua, QB1, he made some of those wild throws that seem to get in the show every single day here on Drive Time. Subscribe, rate, review the podcast for us if you can. And he didn't turn the football over. Those are great signs. But I just thought from a crispness standpoint, from a location standpoint, you know how I would best refer to it? Like, you know how, or maybe you don't know this if you're not a baseball fan, which is seemingly more and more the case these days, but in baseball, a starting pitcher will make 30 starts in a season if he's healthy. And they say 10 of those starts, you have your best stuff, your best curveball, your best fastball. 10 of them, you have your okay stuff. And on 10 of those starts, you just don't have it. But the best pitchers would get would be able to gut out those 10 starts where they don't have their stuff and get through the days where the breaking ball lost a couple of inches or the fastball loses a couple of MPHs on the velocity. So back with Tua, I've just grown so accustomed to every pass or most every pass being right where it needs to be. But there were just a few more than usual off-target shots today, more incompletions, more ball on the ground than we're used to seeing. Now that said, it did give his guys some chances at some crazy catches and they made them. Holy moly, Waddle and Gasicki both had ridiculous catches on two of passes. And that right there kind of tells you the story, doesn't it? Like a bad throw of his is still completed. That's a pretty good neighborhood to live in. And actually, why do you want to hear from me? Let's just go ahead and play the audio from Tua's post-practice presser, say that five times fast, on Wednesday, and some of the challenges the Falcons' defense and their calls presented the Dolphins' offense. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, their D.C. does a great job. Um, you know, and their defense overall, they do a great job disguising looks. Um, I mean, they have a lot of good players on, the, on, their, on their team. They do a great job communicating what they want to do and what they want to accomplish. Um, you know, I think today... Uh, you know, for us offensively, we got to be 
you know, a lot better operationally. Um, just, you know, getting on the ball quicker, uh, seeing what the defense is giving us and playing. You know, and if you look at their two-minute drive, I think, you know, that they did a really good job uh, from an operational standpoint. So that's something that we can also look at um, and continue to learn and grow, uh, not just on our side of the ball, but, you know, both sides of the ball. He also talked a little bit about how in these practices, the defensive coordinators or defensive you know, the entire operation will be a little more, a little more willing to throw the kitchen sink at you. Whereas in the preseason game, they might pull back and not show all their stuff. So good stuff there from Tua talking about this, but you heard him talk about just being better in general after the initial first team period of the practice today, the entire offense huddled up together. Now what the context of that huddle was no clue but it just wasn't the team's sharpest period. So it was good to see them get together and improve after that. Now that that's out of the way, there was plenty of fun to be had by the fans in attendance here at Baptist Health Training Complex. With regards to QB1, he dropped an absolute dime to Savon Ahmed for a 40-yard touchdown pass up the sideline and a wheel route just like the one we saw against the Bears in the game on Saturday. This was the 7-on-7 drill, so not your team, period. But he got way behind the defense and didn't break stride on that catch. I thought his best throw of the day for Tua was another one in 7-on-7 where Adam Shaheen has an over route and gets over the top defender and has one over the top of that as well. So underneath and over the top defender coming across the field and Tua just throws a laser. And you could actually hear the football strike the chest play of Shaheen and just stick there as he cradles that thing and goes into the end zone for an 18-yard touchdown. Beautiful throw from quarterback one. Shaheen caught three touchdowns in six plays in the team period from Tua. So that connection continues to shine in practice. And my overall takeaway is that Tua today... He just wasn't the story of the practice, and he so often has been in terms of strong performances. But you know what? That just gives us a better chance to get to the other guys really quickly. I loved watching Matt Ryan practice. He's so good. We talk about throwing the ball to a spot with Tua. Matt Ryan has been doing that for a long time, and all day he was throwing to spots, and often under some pressure, before the receiver even makes his break, and the ball is right there when the receiver gets out of that break, gets out of the top of the route. It's a real crisp, fun operation to watch, and I've been seeing that in the Dolphins' practices the last couple of weeks too, so a good kind of footstep to follow there for this Dolphins' offense. The running backs, I think I mentioned it earlier, but man, Savon Ahmed can play. He had the long touchdown catch in 7-on-7. Seven seven. He squirts through these small creases in the run game and then just takes off. I noted one play where a big gap opened up off the left side, and it was Savon and a linebacker meeting in the hole, a classic football drill and football moment, right? Like linebacker comes into the gap, running back is there, best man wins. And when Savon gets into the situations like this, his ability to make a subtle move and create a poor angle for the tackler or forces a hit that's not squared up onto his thigh pads or in the midsection, whatever it might be, helps him bounce off that tackle easier. And I think the same is true of Miles Gaskin in that same respect. Guys very rarely square these two backs up with a good shot. I thought his work, Miles, today in the one-on-one route running period of seven-on-seven, or both one-on-ones and seven-on-seven, doing some of the stuff out of the backfield was a lot of fun to watch. He had this one rep where a linebacker is just waiting for him because he has to close this this distance between the two of them, close that space. He gets face-to-face after closing the space, nice rhyme, and puts on a little move and broke that thing off right in front, and the linebacker never had a chance to stay in stride. He is sudden as all hell. Jared Dokes, I just wrote in the notes, 
total load. Like his physicality pops in practice every single day. And I think we saw that in the way he finished that run against the Bears last weekend, where he stayed on his feet after the tackle attempt didn't get him to the ground, and he got up to go for more. Of course, the play was overturned, but that finish still shows up on tape. At receiver, I mentioned Robert Foster. Thought he had the best day of the receivers. Caught a ton of passes, some touchdowns, and the air quotes game winner in that final two-minute period from Jacoby Brissett. He's got some shake at the top of the route. The time to win the route, he that's, that's where it is, the top of the route. And he gets free on those and creates some separation. So good work there from the former Alabama Crimson Tide receiver. Jakeem Grant continues to make people miss, whether it's with the football in his hands as a route runner or in the return game. Now in the kicking game, you can't really project results because they pull up upon potential collisions. They don't make the tackles because it's such a good chance to get hurt in practice. So they don't do it that way. But I thought one return by Jakeem had the chance to go the distance. And you see where they respect the speed to the outside so much. And Jakeem knows that and presses it outside, then sticks that foot in the ground and jams it right back up the gut. And I thought he was going to go through one of those creases today for a long touchdown. Quick aside here, Jason Sanders, man, he was kicking off these like pooch kicks and he puts it like five or six seconds of hang time on some of those strategic kicks. He can really sky that thing. In one instance, he put it in no man's land. And I think Miami would have recovered it if it were a live drill. But again, you're not diving on piles out here at practice. Back to the wideouts. I want to finish with Jalen Waddle. Man, the separation, the route running, it continues to produce results. You probably saw the video on social, on Twitter, I think it was. Who am I kidding? I don't do anything else. It was Twitter. Of him creating plenty of space and one-on-one reps. It was the same as last week in Chicago. He just, they had a hard time covering him in the one-on-one periods. He caught a ball and team where it was a similar type of play where it's kind of stationary and the ball comes flying in and it's high and away. He lunges out full extension and it reminded me of Chad Johnson, the way he used to do that, where his body was parallel to the ground, lunges out, makes one hell of a catch off the body. And it seems like he does that like once a day, if not twice or three times a day. And I want to play some audio from Waddle here from my q and I had about three questions in a row for him. My first one was about What's the biggest takeaway you've had in terms of what you've grown in or what you've learned the most so far through training camp? Just my knowledge of the game, um, definitely. Just going out there and just um, knowing, identifying um, things, picking up on things. Um, So definitely. I think it's a good insight to his mentality or the approach he has to the game, his mindset. I think it's a very good one. So I asked Jalen after that question about – how it feels to compete against somebody else. And of course he talked about how great it is to get out there and have that competition with somebody else. Always a good time. But I also followed up after he mentioned that about how do you react when you hear the fans doing the ooh and the ah, when you make a move or you make a big play or a diving catch, because like I said, it happens pretty much every day. And I talk about the mindset of Jalen Waddle. How about this answer for, do you react? Do you get fired up when you hear that in the stands? Um, to be honest, I ain't gonna lie. I really don't even be hearing it. I be so uh, concentrated in, in West Coast. I really don't even be hearing it. <laughs> so if he doesn't even hear it, just focus on the game. That's what you want to hear. At the tight end position, Adam Shaheen had some big time production in today's practice. He's been really strong all camp long. Mike Gesicki continues to make plays. He caught a couple of one-handed passes today, including one where he's running parallel to the line of scrimmage with the right arm closest back to the quarterback. So left arm upfield, right arm downfield. Did I get that backwards? Either way, the ball goes up high and he reached up with the arm closest to the quarterback and backhand palms that thing, a la the famous Odell Beckham catch. Man, his mitts are ridiculous and he's looking 
more and more in mid-season form with his production and the ability to get open and, of course, the strong hands. Along the offensive line, we're going to get to Dietz here, Michael Dieter, in just a bit. I thought Robert Hunt had a really good solid day. He continues to really keep that initial surge off the quarterback in the passing game and get some good drive in the run game as well. He and Jesse Davis created some room in the running game. Also, huge congrats to Jesse and the Davises on welcoming in a new baby into the world on Tuesday. Congrats, Jesse and family. Speaking of creating room, I thought Liam Eichenberg did his fair share of that today in his first day back in terms of padded practices, some good work there, and some nice gaps off of his hole, either side to the left or to the right. All things told, I thought the interior of the offensive line was pretty good in practice. There was a drill where the Falcons' defensive line was practicing games, you know, stunts, twists, slants, and the Dolphins' D-line was doing the same on the other side of the field. And the O-line had to communicate it and pick it up. And I didn't see a single instance where a player, like, came free on a rush. In fact, the four or five reps I saw basically ended the same way before they even got started because Miami really handled their business up front during that period. And I mentioned they were doing the same thing on the other side of the field with our defense and the Falcons offense. And I saw Jalen Phillips giving some folks some real problems with his rush moves. So I wanted to ask him about that, but also ask him, Solomon Kinley said last week that the O-line versus D-line is kind of a defensive line drill. So I asked him, is that true? And also asked him, what should we look for as evaluators, as fans, as writers, whatever it might be when you're going through those drills? Here's Jalen. I mean, I guess to answer your first question, it's just uh, it depends on who you're going against. You know, sometimes the defense is going to come on top. Sometimes the offense is. I don't think it favors the D-line by any means. If anything, it favors the O-line because they know when the ball is about to be snapped. But, um, you know, to look for in those, honestly, it's just being able to uh, master different parts uh, of your arsenal, honestly. So, like, when I'm coming into a one-on-one, you know, I have a plan. Uh, and I'm working, you know, a certain move and working different counters based on what he does. So uh, it's really cool to be able to take the one-on-one drills and, you know, apply that to the game when we're playing 11-on-11. That's what you're looking for, right? Take what you learn in those periods and apply it to the team period, which is the simulation of a game. And to continue on the D-line, just like the Jason Sanders evergreen stuff, who, by the way, didn't miss today, in case you actually needed to hear that, because it's the case almost every day. But the defensive line has been so impressive all camp I couldn't see exact specifics from my vantage point in the run game period, but I saw a ton of Falcons runs go absolutely nowhere. Now, to be fair, the same was kind of happening on our side with the offense, but this is a run-heavy period, so you you just really want to drill the fundamentals and the technique, that stuff more so than focusing on the results of the play because without the passing game, it's easier to tee off on the running game. But Raekwon Davis, I saw him blow up one play, and I saw the... He basically did what I talked about last week where he threw the blocker into the back and he was in the backfield a lot today. I also saw Zach Sealer at his favorite campground. Well, maybe his second favorite campground behind Clay Goley, but he often has a tent and proverbial campfire going on in the opposing backfield. That was the case again today. Christian Wilkins was producing again and pushing guys' buttons. That whole killing them with kindness smack talk he does is only going to be more effective when he's winning rep after rep as he has been all training camp long. Adam Butler was in the backfield a lot. I thought John Jenkins had a good day, and Benito Jones also made his fair share of good plays in the running game. Off the edge, we talked about Phillips. Emmanuel Ogba shut down the two-minute period. Atlanta kicked a field goal at the end of it, 
But Ogba had two pass rushes that I think would have been a bit different if Ryan was wearing a black jersey instead of a red one. He's been getting after it in these joint practices Ogba has against both Chicago and Atlanta. Andrew Van Ginkle had himself a hell of a day. I had him with a batted pass and three different occasions where he set a very strong edge, came off the block, and was the first on the scene on the hit. And we see them rep this over and over and over again in indies and fundies where you drive into the tackling sled, you lift the sled up and lock out your arms, elbows locked out, chop the feet, get your eyes around the man to the side, and then a rabbit, a a fake offensive player, will approach the hole, you come off the pad and make the stop, and Van Ginkle did that three different times in the team period. Jerome Baker, moving back to the linebackers, is the only linebacker I've seen in three years of doing this camp coverage stuff who consistently wins the one-on-one pass coverage reps against backs and tight ends. And I've seen, you know, Kiko Alonso, for instance, going back to a couple years ago, didn't always go well for him. But Jerome Baker, it usually does. It's absolutely absurd. Duke Riley should be mentioned in the one-on-one stuff as well. His speed just shows up every single day. And in the team period, he had a completely locked down route on a quick hitter. I'm so intrigued by his game, both in coverage and the speed. And a lot of those unsuccessful run plays came courtesy of BMAC, Bernardrick McKinney, scraping off the work of that stout D-line. Just a real nice combo there for Miami. And finally, into the defensive backfield, I thought Eric Rowe was fantastic today. You guys will probably see a video of it. I I think, maybe not, we'll see uh, on the route in the corner of the end zone during the two-minute period, the final period of practice, where he completely shut down a throw and a route to Kyle Pitts, staying right in stride with him. Pitts had some wins in the one-on-ones, but he was pretty quiet in the team period, and Rowe continues to be a fantastic cover guy. I thought his run defense was also strong in practice today. Portfolio would be strong to quite strong. In fact, in one-on-ones, he had carried this jam on a route for a solid three seconds, like within the five-yard window, three seconds. If you do that, you're not going to get the football. There's not enough time for the quarterback to wait for that. And the pass wasn't even close to a completion. His intended target didn't even get the hands up. That's how good it was. Xavier Howard had a nice PBU in team period. You probably saw the clip where Calvin Ridley got on top one-on-one. Man, Calvin Ridley is good. That was the first time this camp I've seen X give up a big play. So kudos to Calvin Ridley. thought Byron Jones was really good too. He forced a non-throw in one-on-one period, which almost never happens and was rock solid in the team period as well. And, you know, go back to Eric Rowe. He said there was some communication errors today, especially in that final two-minute period. They sprung someone free on the second team for a touchdown uh, off the arm of A.J. McCarron. And I think some of the intermediate completions might be a result of that. The Falcons had some success in that area. Both Rowe and Tua said they need to make some corrections, just like last week in Chicago. And then I thought Miami really got after it on day two with some really good play and then kind of carried that domination over into the first half of the game where they control the stats in the scorebook in the first half of that game. So that's what you want to see tomorrow on the practice field. Back to today, Nick Needham was stellar as well. He had a pick off Felipe Franks in 7-on-7 and another PBU in the team period. Just solid coverage throughout the day. Justin Coleman, too. He had one rep where he was so sticky in coverage. Matt Ryan tries it, but the ball falls incomplete because the receiver can't get off the press and the jam. Coleman gets up pretty fired after going pretty fired up after going to the ground. He's been really good this training camp. Cravon LeBlanc also snagged a pick on a diving catch on a tipped ball. All right, let's finish up here with a few more things like the matchup, 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 matchup of the day. Grady Jarrett on Michael Dieter. And Jarrett had some wins early on in practice, but he was neutralized as the day went along. And Michael Dieter, I thought, was killing it with the games and picking up the different looks and communicating stuff up front. I continue to think that his power shows improvement as he absorbs bull rushes and anchors before that rusher can then get into the lap of the quarterback up the middle of the pocket. 
Both guys had some wins, but if you get any Ws against Grady Jarrett, that's a good day. I thought Michael Dieter did just that. Top performers, real quick, Andrew Van Ginkle, Michael Dieter, Nick Needham, Jerome Baker, Justin Coleman, Jason McCourty was capping off all kinds of routes on deep stuff today and just forcing non-throws and taking care of the deep part of the field. Jalen Waddell, Adam Shaheen, Emmanuel Ogba, Raekwon Davis, Robert Foster, and Jason Sanders. Two more things before I get out of here today. I loved episode one of Hard Knocks, but I felt the complete opposite about episode two last night. Give me some more of the under the radar guys, the UDFAs, guys trying to make the team who, for them, it's life or death with each rep. Like the whole Ezekiel Elliott giggling and eating sunflower seeds in the sideline. How the hell is that good drama? I don't want to see that. Show me some of the old stuff, the old school hard knocks, man. That's why we watch the show. And finally, I want to wish my beautiful wife a happy first day of school. The kids were back in school today, and though she returned to work last week, this was the first day with kids in the classroom. So just wanted to say, I've been thinking about you all day, sweetheart, and I cannot wait to get home and hear all about it. And on that note, I have a new sign-off here. Tell me what you think. Caroline, daddy's coming home. You guys all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and OJ. We also have the post-game show on WQAM 560 after each and every Miami Dolphins game. And, of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.